it is a it is a conviction of mine that um, that I, I need to do a good job as a pastor, not simply of of explaining the Bible verse at a time or section at a time, but also helping us uh, understand doctrine as well as we can. So if you think about if you think about the Bible and the things that we learn from the Bible as clothes, uh, doctrine is is kind of like the coat rack. Uh, and we get to hang these these things on, and they get to kind of make sense and, and take shape. And you put a uh, you put a suit, you have a suit, and you hang it up, and you've got um, you know a, a coat hanger, and it and it preserves its form, and it helps uh, everything to kind of hang just like it it should. And so um, I also try to think of doctrine as um, as as the scaffolding. Uh, and if you're if you're painting a if you're painting a very tall room. You can only paint so much standing on your feet. But as you build the scaffolding up, it allows you to reach everything that you need to reach. And so knowing doctrinal truth doesn't make you more spiritual. But it sure does grease the skids. uh, Because all of life is doctrinal. Every question that we face is doctrinal. And the better our doctrine, the healthier our lives. Um, I'll give you just more of an extreme example I mean, I, I went one time uh, to the behavioral unit of the hospital on a visit to see uh, a young man who was there uh, having, having kind of a, a crisis in his life. I felt very sorry for him. And, uh, and I, I walked into the room, and he's there on the, on the bed, and he's kind of just curled up, you know, kind of almost in a ball, and he's just, he's just kind of wrecked. And, um, and, and me and the other pastor... Who, who were there, we were allowed in, you know, and, and we were uh, asking him what his problem was, and he, I'm, I'm sure he had many things going on, right? But this is the one that he, he was just wrecked about because he, uh, he had read in the Bible one time where it says that the sins of the father are passed down to the son, you know, for seven generations or whatever, you know, generation after generation. And he interpreted that as meaning that he needed to try to figure out every sin that all of his seven ancestors had committed and to repent for that because he's responsible for it. Well, this is more of an extreme example, but this is an example of how some poor doctrine really led to some things being played out in his life. And he had all of these Bible questions for us. He'd really misunderstood a lot of things, and it had ended him uh, up in the in the behavioral unit of the hospital. And so, um, anyway... Uh, again, that's that's um, that's out on the the tails uh, of things, but it's it's also true that if the scriptures have given us a sufficient word for life and godliness, then we need to be able to have a coat rack. We need to be able to have a good closet where we can hang these things that we learn in a way that that hopefully help us make sense. And so I'm going to be walking through a, a book that's that's about as reachable as any. Uh, there's a couple things in this particular book that. Uh, that I, you know, would would take exception with, but Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology um, is is uh, is a book that is very reachable and very faithful to the Bible, um, and and I'm just going to use his chapters and his uh, <clears throat> his um, development of his ideas to to follow, and, and of course uh, I'm adding some things and some scriptures and some applications in. Uh, but it, it should be noted, and I've put this here in a footnote, that there is, uh, th- this, this material depends for its outline and content overwhelmingly upon, upon Wayne Grudem. Uh, so I just want to 
give credit where credit is due there. But the way that he begins his book, and I think this is helpful, you know, when you're, when you're trying to think of what is it that we believe, our doctrines and, and, and our theology, um, we have to start somewhere. Uh, some theology books start with the doctrine of God. You know, who is God? This seems like an appropriate place to start. Some start with the doctrine of man. Who are we and what is our need? And then we understand that before we look to God. That's, sometimes that can be helpful. The way that he starts his is by saying, uh, looking to the doctrine of the Word of God, the Scriptures. What has God said? What kind of God is He? And so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, tonight in this new series that we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights called Dose of Doctrine. And hopefully uh, this will be helpful. The good, the good news about doctrine is everything that we learn about God, every truth that we learn, there's always an outlet for praise to Him. Uh, I've heard someone say before, don't give me all the doctrine, just give me Jesus. The problem is anything you say about Jesus is a doctrinal statement, right? If you say Jesus is good or, or Jesus is the Savior or Jesus is the true and better, all of these things that we talk about on Sunday nights from the Old Testament, all of these are, are doctrinal statements. And so everything we say about God, everything we sing about God is doctrine. And so we need for our doctrine to be pure so that our lives will be effective. Uh, and so, we begin by asking the question, what is the Word of God? You know, can you think of a few different ways that the Bible uses that term, the Word? What, what, are, what are a couple maybe that, that come to mind about how, um, how the Bible uses that, the Word? Can you think of any examples? I'm sorry. The Word of Light? Yes. The word is a, it's a light into our path. It's a, it's a, a lamp into our feet. Okay. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. Okay. So what we have right here is, is an example, perhaps of of the Bible, of the written word of God. And what Brother Stewart is mentioning is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Talking about Jesus. So the scriptures use this word to talk about a couple of different things. Isn't that interesting? And so let's look at that. Uh, I've written that down here. The Word of God is the Son, the S-O-N, right? The second person of the Trinity. In the Bible, we see a couple of references to Jesus as the Word. Uh, Stuart mentioned one of those in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, in other words. So it's possible somehow for the Son to at the same time be with God and be God. This is a, a, a mystery called the Trinity that we will get to later. It's a very complicated uh, doctrine. But um, God is, is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's not three gods, and it's not one God who takes three different forms at different, at different times. We'll, we'll get to all that. But it's one God eternally existing in three persons. But here we see in the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and so Jesus, uh, the Son, was not created by God. He's not a creation. He was actually there when creation took place. So He's, he's as eternal as God the Father is. Um, uh, <clears throat> and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. If you look down at verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Son has always existed. Jesus came into existence. Does that make sense? In the incarnation. The Son, the second person of the Trinity, has always existed. Jesus was begotten. Um, he was um, <clears throat> he, he came into existence at a point in time, and He will live forevermore. Uh, the Son has, has taken on a human nature. He's always had a divine nature. At the incarnation, He took on a human nature. And again, I'm getting into some Trinity stuff that we'll cover later. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We also remember, because we just finished up a study of 1 John, how John again speaks of the Son, and, and this, these are the only references in the Bible, they're done by John, speaking of, uh, of uh, in the New Testament anyway, speaking of Jesus as the Word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. Okay, right? Even, even uh, uh, Thomas was able to place his fingers into the, into the wounds of the risen Jesus in order to believe. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. So there's that, that incarnation language, right? The coming into being, the, 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 the Son taking on flesh in order, in order to live the perfect life that we needed lived on our behalf and then to go to the cross and die the death that we deserve. This life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So, while this terminology, this language, it seems to end here, it does indicate that God intended that the second person of the Trinity, the Son, would be the means of communicating Himself to us in a nearby sense. He's God with flesh on. He's the one that we worship because He came and did the work that we needed. He lived among us. He dwelt among us. He is God applied to our scene, right? He's, he's the one... Um, that was meant, uh, that was used of God to communicate what He is like to us in a real and tangible sense. And friends, this is why we sing songs to the Son. I actually mentioned this, I think, last week in passing. This is why we sing songs to the Son. It is appropriate to sing to the Father. It's appropriate to sing you know, about the Holy Spirit. But we have an emphasis on singing about the Son, don't we? And I think there's an appropriate reason for this. It is because this is the one that God intended for us to, to, to see who He was like through. He is the one who has come near to make the God, God dwells in unapproachable light. That's how God made Himself knowable to us. Further, He is the one who has accomplished the word that the Father ordained. And He is the one whose name is necessary for salvation. Acts 4.12 There is no other name Given among, given among men under heaven by which you must be saved. So, that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. Uh, because that is the name uh, through which we are saved. So, the Word of God is spoken of as the Son. It's also spoken of as just God's speech. Anytime God speaks in the Bible. Uh, it says this uh, on our paper. 
In the Bible, the instances of God's speech are also called the Word of God. So remember, in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God's own speech is powerful enough to bring something, everything, into existence. In the beginning, uh, He said, let there be light, and there was light. Psalm 33 says this, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all their host by the breath of His mouth. Right. So the speech of God brings power. Hebrews 1 reminds us that God sustains His creation. Not only did God create, but He upholds it. He sustains it daily, upholding the universe by the word of His power. By the word of His power. So interesting, the language that is used in creation and in God's sustaining grace, uh, uh, keeping everything going the way that it does. Many times in the Bible, God speaks in ways that call for obedience. Remember when God, in the Old Testament, God will speak through a prophet or God will make some kind of statement. God speaks in a way that calls for obedience. Because the words of God are true and trustworthy, to disbelieve or disobey any part of them is to disbelieve or disobey God Himself. That's what Wayne Grudem says there. God's speech is given to us in a few different ways. Um, decrees, when God uses words that do something, right? So God speaks and creation comes into existence. That's a decree of God. Uh, direct address, when God speaks directly to a person, right? He says, thus saith the Lord. You know? And then prophecy, when God speaks through a person, Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, and, and in a sense, even Jesus. Jesus is the true and better prophet. He came to speak truth in a new, in a true and better way. So, now we get to the back page, which is what Wayne says. Wayne says, I accidentally included next week's lesson on the back. <laughs> How do we apply all of this? God speaking in these three different ways. Well, God is a speaking God. This is why we can praise Him. He's not far off. There are many religions who have a God that is impersonal. So Islam would be, would be an example um, of, of, a, of a religion that believes in an impersonal God, in a God who does not speak and communicate in an ongoing way to people. Uh, God is a speaking God, though. We should give Him praise for this attribute. He is not silent. Indeed, in the Bible, when the words of God are encountered, it is presented as if you're having an encounter with God Himself. Listen to how Psalm, I'm just going to flip to Psalm 119, um, which is just quite long, but uh, 119, 120 says this. <clears throat> My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Let's see, Psalm 119, 120, talking about the, the trembling at, at the Word of God. In Isaiah 66, 5, let's see, that one perhaps is even more clear. Isaiah 66, 5 <clears throat> says this, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at His word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you off for My name's sake have said, Let the Lord be glorified, we may see your joy. But as it is, they who shall be... But it is they who shall be put to shame. So another instance of, of trembling at the words of God in the Bible, all throughout these are just two examples. Whenever God's speech, remember Moses at the burning bush, you know, God communicates himself to Moses and he tells Moses to do what? 
Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Why? Because you're encountering the living God and He's communicating to you and, and there is speech coming from Yahweh to mankind. So to fear and to praise God's Word is not improper because the Word of God is, is treated with an incredible reverence in, in Scripture. Anytime God speaks, His presence is nearby. So today, we need to approach the Bible with a similar awe and reverence. I pray that I would be a pastor. I pray that we would be a church, that you would be individuals and families who tremble at God's Word. Because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Isaiah 66, 2 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. In other words, you can't contain me. You can't, you can't possibly build a temple that could contain all of my glory. And so these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the one that God looks on. Wayne, are we going through this second page quick enough? Or, all right, all right. Just making sure. Making sure. The Bible. This is where we kind of make this turn to understand how is it that this, that this word, that, that, that this book that has been assembled, how is it that we can speak of it today as the Word of God? We will, you know, of course, this is not the last lesson on the Word of God, so perhaps there are some questions that will be answered in coming weeks, but this is at least a start. There is a history of God recording His speech in text. You can imagine how countercultural this is when all of the cultures of the world were like they were oral cultures back then. And then this God writes down his Ten Commandments on what? On tablets of stone. People didn't do this, right? The traditions were passed down orally, but this is a God who preserves His Word in one way or another. The Ten Commandments are something of a prelude to the Bible. In other words, it's, it's, it's given us a shadow of what's to come, that this God records His Word. It's interesting, and I just said that, let's see. Stone tablets, it was deposited. Those stone tablets were deposited in the Ark of the Covenant. Why? God says, so that it may be a witness against you. In other words, God knows the people of Israel. He knows that they are just like we have been learning them to be in Exodus. They're fickle. They're easily led astray. They're easily forgetful. Sounds like a bunch of people I know, namely us, right? I mean, uh, people of God today are the same as the people of God back then in in a sense. He said, I've written these, I've recorded these words basically that they may be a witness against you and, and a witness forever, it says in Isaiah 30, verse 8. We learn here that even though the words are written down, they're written down, and that they are written down by humans in many cases, they are no less binding. God has superintended their writing. To disobey them is to disobey God. Uh, perhaps at a particular point, and I know that I've done this in the past, I can't remember exactly which, which lesson. Um, but I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to show some, some information on, on how reliable the Scriptures are today. Um, you know, we, we, we take, um, you know, we don't, we don't have any pause in reading things like Homer's Odyssey today and then believing that it's reliable. The Scriptures were transmitted, that there were so many copies of the New Testament made 
in such a short period of time that it dwarfs anything else. I mean, like, you know, Plato's Republic and Homer's Odyssey, all these others were not transmitted in a shorter period of time. In other words, if you go a few hundred years, there's a chance that things might be lost. If you, if you um, copy them down only a few times and you don't have a, a number of different copies to reference to see if they're all saying the same thing, you lose some, you lose some credibility. So in other words, if, if ten of you are taking notes of my teaching tonight and all ten of them say that Greg said the same thing, then we could be pretty confident that we know what Greg said. But this is all excluding the fact that it's God. And He's a good God and He will preserve His Word. That's the theological thing that we know about Him, right? But there are some evidences that can give us confidence aside from these things. Not to mention that the early church fathers, even if we didn't have, which, you know, so, so paper, papyrus just doesn't last 2,000 years, right? So we don't have the originals. Um, but we, we have so many different copies of copies, and, the, and they're all attesting to uh, the reliability of the originals that we can have confidence. But even if we didn't have those, the manuscripts, even if we didn't have those, what we would still have is all of the early church fathers. See, the, these first, the first pastors of the Christian church, they were writing sermons. And they wrote so many sermons that I can't, some crazy high percentage in the 90s, I believe, of all of the verses in the New Testament were written down by them in their sermons. And then those sermons were copied. So we have this other track that's running along. So anyway, getting into a bunch of dorky, uh, you know, nerd type stuff, but it's, uh, it's very comforting to know. Um, that we have a great deal of reliability in the Scriptures. Um, in the New Testament, the very, ministry, uh, the very ministry of the Holy Spirit is seen as one of reminder. If you read in John 14.26, John 14.26 tells us what is the role of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the, uh, the Advocate, He's going to come and He's going to do some things. It says this, uh, John 14... 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Jesus is about to ascend, right? He's going away. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, um, you know, folks, I think more in the charismatic movement, which I have a number, you know, of, of reservations with and, and, and problems with. And we can talk about those things at other times, but... Um, those who say, you know, say, well, today the Holy Spirit just told me this. It's a new word. The Holy Spirit told me a new word. It's like, well, and the Scriptures just don't give us a confidence. They just don't tell us. They don't say that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's job is primarily to remind us of what we already know, and we're so easy to forget it, right? There's enough here, friends. If you can get all this... But it's like, it's like, we don't need a new word. We can spend the rest of our lives just trying to wrap our brain around about 10% of this. Okay, So Paul can speak of his words to the Corinthians as a command of the Lord. So 1 Corinthians 14, 37. Uh, Paul speaks of his own words. 1 Corinthians 14, 37 says this. Or was it from you that you heard the word, or, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? In other words, he's talking to them about these letters that he's writing back and forth to them, and he's speaking about the things that he wrote to them, and he's calling them the word of God. So Paul had a sense that he was being used of God 
even to write Scripture perhaps. Today, the form of God's Word that we study is the Bible. This is not to diminish any of the other forms. You know, God's direct speech, we're just not, we're just not here. We weren't around at creation, right? But those are not available to us for examination and study. Furthermore, God's Word, spoken for life and godliness, ceased at the completion of the New Testament. Hebrews 1.1 basically said, well, it doesn't basically say it, I'll just, I'll just read it. Hebrews 1.1 says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, you know what but is? It's like, it's like a... It's like a conversative conjunction. It's saying, yes, that was something, but now this is the reality. It says, long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. In other words, there's a, there's a shift in God's revelation that's taking place. Whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom He has created the world. So, Therefore, we should be highly suspicious of those purporting, those saying that they speak on behalf of God today. God has given us a sufficient word. It is useful, 1 Timothy says, for training in godliness, for correcting, for teaching, for rebuking, for all of these things. Uh, there are references in the Scripture. And as a matter of fact, one of the last things that the Scriptures say in the book of Revelation is, Woe to anyone who takes away from or adds to these words. So, we should be very careful. Uh, we should test the spirits, as 1 John would tell us. Um, so, God has given us a sufficient word in His Bible. While, while it may say things that offend our sinful hearts and our modern sensibilities, it is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. Moreover, it reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is... And will remain to the end. Of, I'm quoting now from the Baptist Faith and Message. And will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. Notice what it doesn't say about that. It doesn't say that the Scriptures are a science textbook or a book about plumbing. Right? There, there's a scope of Scripture that it, that it intends to inform us on. There are some things. Uh, that are not fully told to us. But everything that the Scriptures affirm is true. So people come up with all these questions. They say, well, well, well the, the Bible says that the sun rises. And we know that the sun doesn't rise. The earth rotates. And, well, friends, this, this, isn't, this isn't some kind of fault in the Bible. We speak today about the sun rising. In other words, this is how it appears to us. So the Scriptures are not somehow wrong in this. And then uh, even uh, some other people say things about the numbers in the Old Testament, right? So what about the numbers that are, that are given to us? Sometimes it'll say, hey, well, 33,000 men went up with, with Joshua and they went into battle or something like that. Was there exactly 33,000 men? Other places in the Bible it says 600, you know, the, a certain man had 691 oxen. Well, that's a very specific number. So typically, when these round numbers are given, it's just like you and I give round numbers. It's like, well, you know, what time are you going to be at my house today? I'll be there at 6. If I show up at 5.58, you're not going to call me a liar. 
right? If I show up at 6.02, you're not going to call me a liar. You're just going to say, well, he's, he's trying to get there at 6, you know. Uh, but if you say, Greg, how many kids do you have? I'm not going to say, oh, about, you know, about 7 or 8. I'm going to give you a specific number. So in other words, everything that the Scriptures affirm is true. Um, and, and that's why I think the Baptist faith and message says it this way. Uh, see if I can put my eyes on it. It is the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. Um, God has revealed something about himself by, giving his, by, the, by his giving of his word. He is a speaking God who cares for his people and desires that they know how to know him and live fulfilled lives. All scripture is breathed out by God, it says in 2 Timothy all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It says this in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Friends, God has given us a clear word. He's given us a, a sufficient word. He has showed us in it that He is a God who communicates to His people. He is a God who doesn't err. The Scriptures, I believe, are infallible, are inerrant. And they are trustworthy as a result. So, we can praise God based on this truth. Uh, because this has been more of a teaching time, I will give an opportunity if... I have said anything that is unclear, or if you have any questions about what we covered tonight, uh, I'll be happy to do my best at answering any questions about the Word of God. Okay. Well, friends, thank you for being here tonight. I hope you find this useful. I hope you don't find it boring. Doctrine is not boring because doctrine is all of life. And so hope uh, this will be edifying to all of us and we uh, can continue to do our part in following God as He builds His kingdom here among us at Trenton Baptist Church. Would you pray with me? And we will be dismissed tonight. God, thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that you have drawn near. Thank you that all through Scripture you show yourself to be a God who draws near to the people. You walk with them in the Garden of Eden. Even after they sin, you come and you call out. You call out for Adam and Eve. Even beyond that, we see you following mankind around in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And then we see you wanting to draw near to, to people in the temple and then in the, or in the tabernacle and then later in the temple and, and in the burning bush. And all of these moments we see that you're a God who draws near to your people and you have done that most visibly in sending your own Son, the second person of the Trinity, to take on flesh, to become Jesus to live and walk among us, to draw near to sinners. And then, even when He left, He didn't leave us in the dark. He sent, you sent, the Holy Spirit to live inside of everyone who by faith believes in you. Lord, I pray that that number of people who believe in you by faith in this town would increase. Lord, I pray that we would see such an outpouring of your Spirit that you would move among us and among our community in such a way that we could take none of the credit 
but that we could give all the glory to you as we see people coming and confessing you as Lord and living for you for the rest of their days. Oh God, would you give us such a revival in our land and would you start that renewal process inside of us. God, help us to be submissive to it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.